Good morning. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties podcast. Free Press Media Press Inc. and Alternative Parties Books Publisher sponsors this podcast. I'm Andrew Bouchard. Welcome to the Long Live Alternative Parties podcast. Today, friends, we have another exciting guest on the podcast like we always have. We are talking to the Socialist Party of New Hampshire, and they're going to talk to us about exciting things they do to make this world better. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Let us get started by you kindly giving us an introduction to yourself, a brief biographical sketch, and if you give our audience your name. Absolutely. My name is uh, Aaron Smith-Walter, uh, and I've been a member of the Socialist Party since uh, 2009. Uh, initially, wow. I joined the party. Yeah, and I, it, it doesn't seem like that long ago to me, but when I think about it, it's like, oh, yeah, that was a while ago. Um I initially joined uh, in uh, when I was uh, living in Virginia uh, at the uh, the Central Virginia local that existed there at the time. Uh, but currently, I'm the outreach secretary for the Socialist Party of Southern New Hampshire. Um, okay. And personally, uh, you know, I was uh, born in Madison, Wisconsin. I grew up in Virginia. I've been involved in left wing politics ever since I was 16 years old. Uh, when I uh, joined the, uh, the the Communist Party uh, uh, from uh, my basement in the early days of the Internet when they allowed that kind of thing to go on. Um, and uh, I've uh, just been uh, sort of, um, you know, uh, working in various uh, organizations and capacities ever since. And I my current political home is here in the Socialist Party. So I'm super excited to do this and talk to folks. Excellent. So what caused you to go from – because you say you were in the Communist Party, what caused you to move over to the Socialist Party? Uh, you know, uh, a lot of times it basically sort of revolved around uh, who was active in the area. So, okay. um, you know, when I was in university uh, at uh, James Madison University uh, in um, Harrisonburg, Virginia, right there in the Shenandoah Valley, uh, we had a, um, you know, uh, a chapter, the youth chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. So I was a member uh, of, of that organization from, like, 1998 up until 2005. Um, you know, so I uh, – it's basically where you find people who are uh, doing good work, who share your understanding of the current political situation uh, that we find ourselves in and, you know, who kind of share the values of uh, making sure that uh, uh, we turn the immense productive apparatus that capitalism has bequeathed us, right, to uh, meeting human needs and not uh, stuffing corporate coffers, I think is really um, how I how I wound up where I am right now uh, is, is the answer to that question. Okay. So the last thing you said, would you say that would be a fair description of how you define socialism? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that socialism has a has a couple of uh, of different components, but for me, it's really about um, uh, two substantial uh, plans, right? One is uh, obviously um, the uh, democratic control of the economy, uh, okay. and that control should be exercised by the people who are uh, engaged in the production of wealth itself. So okay. um, when we think about what socialism is, uh, it, 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 it really, in my mind, prioritizes um, uh, the opinions of the people who are doing the work. Um, and uh, so to the extent that you can uh, democratize uh, the economy, 
and make sure that uh, the productive apparatus is being employed to meet the needs of the people who are powering um, said economy. Uh, that's, that's, in my mind, a, a pretty um, uh, a useful working definition of socialism, um, uh, at least when we're talking about um, engaging uh, in sort of a broad-based uh, sort of uh, party-building uh, endeavor. Okay. So earlier you mentioned your role with the party. You said outreach director, right? Yeah. Currently, I'm the I am the outreach secretary, so I handle uh, a lot of the, uh, of the the business that we have of trying to uh, elevate the visibility of the party in the area, coordinating um, uh, activities with other organizations. Um, because you know, as you know, and uh, uh, you know, uh, I'm assuming that the listeners uh, uh, to your show will know, you know, the the left has a a vast array of articulations uh, and organizations. And so, uh, you know, finding ways to work together on joint projects there is, is absolutely uh, essential. Um, and that does also um, animate uh, one of the, uh, I think, important features of the Socialist Party and how we sort of organize here in New Hampshire, and that is sort of uh, an equal emphasis on both um, uh, the importance of electoral politics, but also uh, the um, focus on, on dual power and the recognition that um, the working class needs to really um, create its own institutions uh, in order to make sure that uh, the needs of the working class are met in both the immediate term and also the long term. Okay, can you define working class for our audience? Some people have different views of it. Some people, PSL did a podcast about that where some a lot – what I've noticed too is a lot of people think working class means you are in overalls, but socialism right. has a more a more in depth view of the working class. So kindly define that for our audience. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I, you know, just all my cards on the table. I, I uh, currently work in what might be described as one of the most bourgeois occupations there is. I'm a, a, a university professor, and so oh. um, there's a lot of people who would say that you know you're not working class, um, and I would I would take issue with that in the sense that um, I, I define working class myself pretty broadly, and it's basically a situation where you make your living. Um, in this economy by selling your labor, right? And your labor can be your muscles, right? It can be your knowledge. Uh, it can be your talent. Uh, if it's sold as a, as, a, as a commodity on a market, right, then you are a member of the working class. Um, and so I think that that's sort of the, um, uh, the, the definition I use. You know, it does kind of get a little bit more complicated when you start talking about, you know, what about workers who, you know, uh, own their own businesses, right? But they're their own employee, right? These are uh, a sort of uh, a particular uh, a sort of niche questions. But broadly speaking, um, if you are forced to go to a job every day in order to uh, make sure that you can eat and clothe and house yourself, uh, I, I consider you a, a member of the working class until you prove me wrong, until you prove differently, I guess. <laughs> Okay, that that's a good way to summarize that. It makes sense. So kindly tell our audience some of the major points of your area's platform, specifically in in your area in New Hampshire, 
you, earlier you defined social, kindly tell us how that works out in given issues that are relevant in your area. Absolutely. So uh, currently um, our, our, our local program is articulated along seven primary uh, planks. Okay. And so the first of those we have um, the issue of housing. Um, you know, uh, here in, in New Hampshire, uh, I believe they've just released an report, a report uh, that says we're, you know, uh, needing a minimum of 20,000 new units of housing to keep up with demand. Um, yeah. And, you know, New, New Hampshire isn't even the most uh, uh, dysfunctional housing market in the country. Uh, we've seen, of course, and I think that most people have seen, um, the, the insane uh, uh, growth in uh, the uh, homeless uh, uh, population in the country. We have seen the insane growth of uh, uh, the inflation and home values. I think two years ago, um, the average American house made more money value-wise than the average American worker, right? So we see that there is a need for us to refocus on housing as a human right and a move away from housing as this idea of an investment vehicle, right? Um, we currently have, I think, something like 12 million homes which are held as Airbnbs or second homes, right, uh, that serve as this vast reserve of housing which goes unoccupied the majority of the time, uh, all in parallel with uh, a, 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 an explosion in the homeless population and an explosion in the number of young people uh, who are unable to afford their own homes. And so we have, uh, as one of our uh, focus here in the in the local, um, uh, uh, mobilization and issues around how do we make housing do what it's supposed to do, which is basically provide shelter for people. Uh, we also have a focus on Medicare uh, for all as a policy uh, plank, right, much for the same reason, right? Our uh, entire medical system right, is, is not geared toward health care. Uh, it's actually geared toward denying people health care, right? We've, we've enshrined insurance companies who only profit if they don't provide health care services. And so uh, we know that the only way that we're going to actually achieve um, uh, the, the promise of modern medicine is through the complete and utter dissolving of these for-profit insurance companies which serve only to um, uh, prevent people from actually accessing their health care. And we also have to make sure that uh, we decouple uh, access to health care and the provision of health care itself uh, from the employer, right, that this should be a social right which all Americans uh, are, are entitled to um, just by virtue of their being here in, in the country. The third blank that we have is an end to the drug war. Um, this has to happen uh, in our mind uh, immediately. We see the damage that it's done uh, to our communities, uh, and we see how the investment in uh, um, uh, institutions of the carceral state, right, are being made over and over again uh, as a policy of choice, uh, much to the impoverishment of a needed substance abuse uh, programs uh, for medical and, and health-related intervention. Um, so we, we see that in order for people to uh, get the actual care that they need, uh, we have to end the war on drugs. And this is also coupled with uh, the need for us to release uh, all the uh, nonviolent drug offenders. Uh, one of the things that we often see, I know this has happened in Virginia, 
uh, and I think it's happened in Massachusetts and also maybe even Alaska as well, is the move toward the uh, legalization of marijuana is not accompanied with uh, necessarily uh, the uh, commuting of the sentences for those individuals who were prosecuted when the drugs were uh, illegal. And so we have a disproportionately unfair punishment regime that needs to be addressed. Uh, we also support uh, the universal right for um, uh, 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 citizens to possess uh, guns. Uh, the right to defend yourself is essential, uh, absolutely, um, for, uh, uh, for freedom uh, in our view. Um, and uh, to abridge that right, we, we kind of uh, think is um, uh, going to, to, to result in a, a very negative, <laughs> negative thing. Uh, the state is unlikely uh, to relinquish uh, uh, their uh, uh, right to uh, uh, weapons. And, um, you know, uh, this is something that we, we feel strongly that uh, shouldn't, shouldn't be done. Uh, we also believe that we should establish a $25 uh, dollar per hour minimum wage and that we should uh, peg that wage to inflation uh, for annual increases. Uh, here in New Hampshire, we have the, uh, shall we say, um, uh, 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 notorious uh, 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 sort of a problem of our uh, state minimum wage is still pegged to the federal minimum wage, so it's 7.25 an hour, which anyone will tell you is completely inadequate um, in any respect to meeting your uh, daily or weekly or monthly household needs. Uh, we also support universal childcare. One of the major issues that we have in the state is that childcare is uh, far too expensive, uh, and that this leads to uh, many people who are unable to work. It also leads to children being left in unsafe situations. And if we're wanting to talk about a truly emancipatory uh, social uh, system, uh, we have to be able to uh, provide uh, parents uh, the ability to um, rely on affordable and universal health uh, childcare programs so that they can go and um, uh, engage in the endeavors that they are interested in without worrying about their children um, uh, at home uh, uh, in that respect. Um, and then the last sort of plank that we're really focused on is, um, you know, all of these programs are going to cost money, and so uh, we need to uh, basically uh, look to pay for this somehow, and uh, the uh, deconstruction of the American imperial military apparatus is the big glaring red light where we can take resources, which we are currently using, uh, to um, uh, basically uh, spread uh, murder machines across the planet. Uh, we need to bring our troops home and we need to uh, close those bases and rededicate uh, the resources of this country toward meeting the needs of the people who live here and not uh, on uh, uh, spreading uh, oppression uh, across the planet. And so those are like the big seven things that we're kind of focused on here in New Hampshire. So it's, 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 a, it's, a large, uh, it's a large list, but there you go. Interesting. I, I don't hear it every day from the left about gun rights. Usually you think of gun rights as a conservative thing. Yeah, we, 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 we do normally get that. And what uh, uh, we like to say here uh, in the in the uh, in the chapter is you go far enough left and you get your your gun rights back and I think that um, one of the one of the major sort of 
misperceptions, at least I would argue it's a misperception, is that the United States has as much violence and, and, and shootings as it has because we have um, as many guns as we do. And I think that certainly that's a factor. Uh, but we also have an incredibly um, a, a violent society culturally. We also have an incredibly, um, uh, shall we say, um, uh, 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 stingy uh, welfare state. We have a social structure uh, whereby um, losing in any sort of sense is incredibly catastrophic. And I think that what we, what we need to understand is that um, uh, we have a substantial uh, inability to ever get rid of the guns that we have, I think. Um, if you look at the number of guns in America right now, in the United States, uh, we have more guns than we have people. Um, and uh, we lack the ability to do something as simple as uh, take a look at um, COVID, right? We wanted to send people uh, uh, checks uh, to assist them, right? It was certainly a small amount of money, right? A drop yep. in the bucket. Uh, but, but we lacked the uh, administrative infrastructure to even do that and to suggest that there's going to be some ability for us to uh, uh, remove all guns from society, I think, is um, a, a statement of policy which doesn't recognize uh, that this is something that we, we lack the capacity uh, to do. Uh, and I would also suggest that um, uh, it, it doesn't solve the problem. Right? The, the overall problem is one of um, uh, a violence, of degradation of the individual, of the uh, um, uh, sort of uh, instrumentalization of others, right, which is what capitalism teaches us, that we can use others for our own ends, right, and that they uh, uh, don't need to uh, be respected in the same way that we uh, respect ourselves, right? And so I, I would argue that these things are inextricably linked. And um, uh, when we think about uh, what we should be doing with guns, uh, certainly um, some regulation is acceptable. But uh, to talk about, um, you know, uh, 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 deciding who's going to get what gun, you know, it, it, it becomes overly uh, complex and problematic uh, especially when there are a great many other issues that uh, we should really be focusing on if we're interested in um, uh, reducing harm to our society. Sure. Do you feel all labor unions are the same? One reason I ask this is because of my personal experience. I was organizing my workplace, and I got involved in a couple of labor unions, and they were not helpful at all. And I was also a member of a labor union at one job where one woman who was our representative hadn't worked in the field for seven years, and then later I got involved in IWW, and IWW is very democratic in how they do that. They say if you're in the position, you have to be the same. So do you believe all labor unions are the same, or would you not want to comment on that because you might think it alienates some unions, or do you think it, we can – we shouldn't hold unions up for – we should be able to criticize unions when they're not serving what they say they serve. Yeah, I, I, I'm of the opinion that, the, you know, we should criticize institutions which are failing to uh, uphold uh, values uh, that we would, um, that we would uh, uh, promote, right? So if, if your union 
is a union which is uh, not democratic. If your union is only interested in um, uh, uh, serving the needs of its own members uh, to the exclusion of uh, 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 outreach to other um, uh, workers, right, who may uh, be struggling to organize, it's not to say that your union is useless, right? It's just that there's room for improvement, and sure. improvement only comes in response to criticism. Um, so I, I really think that, um, you know, you, in the United States, you know, we have had you know, the history of uh, immense pressure against labor. You know, we've, we've lived through, through that. It's currently going on. And so the fight to build these unions is important, uh, but also the fight that once you have one, you know, to democratize, uh, to, to, to render it more responsive is also uh, a, a fight that's worth undertaking. And so I think that uh, to answer your question, uh, you know, criticism uh, of, of unions in the uh, pursuit of improving them is something which uh, is, is, is likely to be necessary um, because, you know, just as, uh, you know, um, uh, all families are different, right? <laughs> all, all unions might be different. Some of them might be uh, better than others in the way that they're structured. Um, and yes. so we just want to be sure that, um, you know, they are serving as uh, vehicles for uh, worker empowerment and liberation and not merely as capital's junior partner. Sure. Makes sense. Along the same lines, how do you approach feminism? Because obviously most people are going to say they support feminism because it's equality, but there's some forms of feminism that you might call bourgeois feminism, where I see people, for example, talking about women that are high up on the social ladder. They say they complain about how somebody confuses them with the secretary. So it seems like that type is snobbery. It's not feminism. So how do you approach the issue of feminism with the class perspective while avoiding this type of feminism? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, uh, uh, feminism and women's liberation, right, is uh, if you go to the Socialist Party USA website under our strategy section, this is the first thing that comes up, right, as, you know, uh, Ingalls talked about you know, the first oppression was uh, was patriarchal oppression. And so there is a lot of um, uh, uh, value, uh, there's a lot of emphasis that we place on this. Uh, the, the, the exact question that, that I think you're getting at is how do we uh, think about squaring the circle between what we might want to think of as a liberal feminism, right? This yes. idea that, you know, women should go out and they should uh, be just as free as uh, uh, men or uh, other individuals to occupy uh, positions of uh, exploitation and oppression in exactly. the existing superstructure. Um, and uh, my, my uh, I guess, response to that would be, uh, that it, anyone who occupies those positions, right, are engaging in exploitation and uh, oppression of the working classes. And so to the extent that um, uh, we would uh, uh, respect and fight for the liberation of all women, I certainly uh, do not believe that we would um, endorse the ability or the, um, uh, uh, the, the move of women to uh, then uh, use the existing patriarchal power structure to uh, oppress um, the, the, the working class. Um, and so, 
uh, it, it, it does become a tactical question when we talk about individual sort of issues. But um, on the whole, I would suspect that you know we would uh, we would oppose any uh, a gendered uh, oppression, uh, but we certainly would not endorse uh, women using uh, uh, the existing um, uh, exploitative infrastructure to uh, 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 extract value from the working class and continue their exploitation. Makes sense. So Holly Hawkins said on one of his podcasts that North Korea is a repressive regime, yet some people on the left support North Korea. So if it, so if you're comfortable ask, answering that question, kindly explain how you see that from the Socialist Party perspective. I think from, uh, from my perspective, um, what I'm really most interested in is critiquing um, my own uh, society. Uh, okay. That what we have is a situation where um, the, uh, the overall weaknesses of um, societies which choose to call themselves socialist uh, is certainly a question. Um, but uh, I don't know that there's necessarily a great deal of value in those of us who are sitting in the United States uh, spending uh, a huge amount of time uh, trying to decide whether or not one uh, particular country or one particular country at a particular historical time was or was not uh, socialist or repressive or, uh, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, certainly okay. I think that we have, um, you know, violations that every state uh, uh, commits against its citizens. That just it, it, it's it's part of the nature of states, right? Where injustice happens, uh, but it's also part of the nature of the reason why it's important to have uh, popular organizations and struggle. And one of the reasons that the Socialist Party of Southern New Hampshire really uh, pushes this notion of dual power, right? That we have, at least in the United States, um, the nation that I'm most familiar. The state is captured, right, by the interest of capital. The ruling class, right, commands the state. Uh, you can look at, uh, you know, uh, great work done by uh, Martin Gillis, right? Uh, uh, Affluence and Influence is the name of the book, and he basically took a uh, uh, did a study of uh, policy outcomes, and he arrived at the conclusion that unless you're rich, it doesn't matter what you want in the United States. Right, that the the people who get what they want are the people who uh, actually pay for the parties. Right, that's the way that this works. And so when we think about um, uh, what is the, the the point, right, of socialist organizing and socialist strategy from the party perspective here at the SP in Southern New Hampshire, uh, we want a party that is owned by the working class. Right, that that if you don't have the money, you can participate. Right, you can show up, you can give your labor, you can give your time, and that the party is going to then represent right and advance your interest in public policy. That is what the the goal of the electoral campaign is. But there's also a recognition that there is a deep right uh, a bias in the existing electoral system toward the Democratic and Republican parties. You can just look at state ballot access laws to understand this, right? Um, yes. Uh, obstacles are, erect, uh, are erected to third-party political organizations to make it more costly for them, to make it harder for them 
to participate and make it easier uh, for the two establishment parties to continue, right, serving the interests of capital, which is exactly what they do. The, the best study of this, you can look at um, uh, um, uh, Ferguson's book, uh, The Golden Rule. It basically traces the evolution of support and, uh, and development of the two political parties uh, over time in response to industrial shifts between uh, domestic and international uh, um, resource flows. And so what I think we want to uh, really impress upon people is that uh, the building of institutions that are going to uh, uh, meet people's needs now, right, uh, is essential. And that's really where, you know, partnering with other organizations, be they housing uh, organizations, tenants unions, uh, their cooperatives when it comes to child care provision. These are all things that people can do, workers can do for themselves and their communities to meet the fact that the, the current manifestation of the U.S. state seems to be either, one, incapable, or two, unwilling to meet the needs of its population in many uh, serious ways, right? We have higher education, which is incredibly expensive and outside the reach of many of our citizens. We have health care, which is the same, expensive and outside the reach. Right? You have to basically be at death's door until they require the emergency room to stabilize you. Right? Uh, if you want to look at where uh, people lose their money, right? huge numbers of Americans go bankrupt every year because of uh, medical claims. Like our mental health care system is woefully inadequate for meeting the needs that we have. We can't address climate change. Our infrastructure is crumbling. All of these things really speak to a state which has abandoned its commitment to improving the lives of the people that it is purportedly in existence to serve. And so the two, um, uh, 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 the two, um, uh, uh, strand solution that we have is one, immediately work with institutions, individuals, organizations, right, at the community level to respond to the current needs, right? So that's our response to harm reduction, not vote Democrat. Voting Democrat doesn't result in harm reduction, right? Um, what we want is immediate uh, application of, uh, of the efforts of the working class to address their own needs. Uh, the second, of course, is the electoral approach, because we recognize that neither of the two mainstream parties have any interest in actually serving any of the individuals other than the donors that pay for their continued existence. So that's our, 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 our overall approach to uh, the current political situation uh, that we find ourselves in here in, uh, here in New Hampshire. All right. Sounds good. So how can our listeners support your party? That's great. Uh, yeah, we would uh, we'd love to have it if they uh, happen to be here in uh, in New Hampshire. Uh, we would love it if you would uh, come out to some of our events, get in, get in touch with us. Uh, I do have uh, the information on our social media. Um, I don't know if it's best to, to give that to you now. Um, uh, it's uh, socialistpartysnh.net. Um, I can send that to you if it's something that you would put in the in the in the notes for the episode. Okay. Uh, you can also find us on on Facebook. Uh, we are we are there as well. Um, and 
Uh, the other thing that you can do is, you know, if you're not in New Hampshire, uh, the Socialist Party uh, is a national party in the United States. You can contact the uh, national organizer, um, and uh, they can get you information uh, for organizing your own chapter or getting in touch with people in your area who are interested in organizing a chapter. Um, and so those would be two ways that you could get involved. Um, and then uh, sort of from a, a larger sort of uh, uh, perspective is that, you know, if you don't have any of these organizations and you don't necessarily have uh, the time to organize a socialist party local of your own, uh, you know, just getting involved in some of these organizations that are out there in your community uh, that are interested in addressing some of these issues uh, around uh, uh, getting folks medical care, uh, housing security, um, anti-militarism. These are all uh, useful things that can be done, uh, which in the long term are really going to uh, uh, to serve the achievement of the ideals and the values that those of us in the Socialist Party of New Hampshire kind of hold. So I guess that that would be my answer. <laughs> yes, that's good. That's helpful. Aaron, we thank you for... We thank you for coming on the podcast today and talking about all the exciting things your party is doing. Thanks, Andrew. I appreciate the opportunity. It's been great talking with you. All right. We wish you all the best in your party and also in your personal and professional endeavors. Thank you very much. You too. Take care. Take care. Bye now.